Welcome to season two, episode one of 115 Miles. Josh, we're back. How we have... are back. Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, in form as ever, clearly. Yeah, clearly. yeah. In flow, simpatico. Listen, um, great conversation today. What was the highlight for you? Um, I really enjoyed talking about the whole mental health day from work. I thought that's a really good conversation because like we always do, we didn't just, uh, hopefully we didn't just polarize one way. We actually went in and tried to split the hairs and say, what's the real conversation here? And I found myself uncomfortable exploring it. And I know when I feel uncomfortable, we're in the territory that we want to be in. What was your favorite bit, Has? I think my favourite bit was um, talking about um, espresso versus espresso and that you're a coffee snob. (laughs) Uh, No, seriously, I think, you know, we we had a very good conversation around um, immigration and uh, how we view that in this country. We talked about um, the rising, I guess, epidemic in some quarters. People may see uh, the epidemic around stress and pressure. It was a really good conversation. Um, What should people do, Josh, if they need to find us? They should come and get us at 115 miles pod on Instagram. Look out for loads of content coming your way with season two. And they should also leave us a review, preferably a good one, but leave us a bad one if you want. Just leave us a review on the platform that you listen to us on. And we'll see you again in the next episode. This is 115 Miles with Josh Connolly and Hassan Kaya. Growing up 115 miles apart, our lives couldn't have been more different, but we find ourselves today with many similarities and outlooks upon life. Join us on our podcast as we take a topical dive into life, work, culture, and everything in between. Josh. Yes, Hass. Welcome back. Welcome back after the summer. First things first, is this season two or is this season one continued? Um, I I believe we should call it season two and I'll tell you why we should call it season two. Uh, And that is because I forgot what number we were on episode of the last one. So now we can start again and go season two, episode one. Oh, like it. I'd forgotten too. I think we did something like 32, 31, 32, but... Professionals would have checked that before they came on to start recording, right? Listen, mate, we're not about numbers. We're about um, top quality content. Quality, not quantity. Top, yeah, exactly, exactly that. But it's good to be back, mate, and I feel, I feel energized again by 115 miles. So I'm looking forward to this show and the rest of the ones that are coming up. Back by popular demand, or five people. <laughs> five people have we know at least five people have asked us to bring it back but. well I got stopped in town shout out James uh, who I saw in town who stopped me who I haven't seen for a number of years since I left my old job and we said hello talked about his uh, wedding that he's just had so happy marriage day uh, and then he brought up the podcast and was like you better make sure that you bring it back and said that he was going to text me so uh, I think it was that that kicked our ass into gear yeah, we we were sort of umming and ahhing about it, and uh, it it was that it was that uh, chance reunion that just got us back into it. So yes. that's good. Cheers, so here we are. James. Yeah, yeah, nice one. Um, so when we were testing the sound earlier, 
you said what you had for breakfast. What did you have for breakfast today, Josh? I had a, uh, <laughs> I had a protein <laughs> coffee. What goes into a protein coffee? <laughs> protein. Just pro- what coffee? No, I Is make a black. Coffee? I make a black coffee and then I put a scoop of protein powder in it and I shake Inst- it up in a shaker and then Instant I have it. Instant coffee or like the good stuff. No, the good stuff, mate. Come on. Ah, do you ever drink instant coffee? No. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, if I came around your house and you offered it to me, I wouldn't turn my nose up and say I'm not having it. But inside you'd be dying, would you? But inside I'd just think, ah, he is everything I knew he was. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you're a bit of a snob, coffee-wise? Uh, yeah, yeah, mine's an espresso, is what I have. When, uh, when you were younger, as you were moving into this more middle-class phase, did you used to call it espresso? You did, didn't you? You <laughs> yeah. did, yeah. Everyone goes through that journey. <laughs> you were moving into this more middle-class phase. Yeah, yeah. We, well, we know about the early days. You know, you, you talked a lot about your early days, Josh. But yeah, but you know when you, st- when you used to drink instant coffee, right, um, with yeah. probably about eight spoons of sugar. I bet you were an eight spoons of sugar kind of guy back in the day. No, I've never, never, never been a big sugar in coffee person, though. Okay, well, um, but when you went from instant to brewing... Yeah. You used to you used to go espresso. Espresso, yeah. And then I moved, yeah. And then I went, because I used to, well, first I bought a, a, a cafetiere and then I would have that and then I started having them black and then I'm on double espresso now, I bought an espresso machine. So I have to, yeah, I use yeah. the pods and that, yeah. So you don't, you're not a fan of frothy, milky coffee, so? Not anymore, I used to be. I used to be a yeah. skinny latte guy. With your avocado and toast. Avocado. That was that was your Instagram uh, <laughs> highlight uh, whenever you're in town. Anyway, yeah. so that's uh, so that's nice. You had a protein coffee. I'm just having straight up coffee, no protein. Instant. I bet it's instant, isn't it? It's not actually. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> but I do like an instant. I have to say, I think I like to mix it up. Oh yeah. Reconnect yeah. with my roots. Yeah, I was going to say like yeah, you. Yeah. No, I've left all that behind now. I'm I'm way better than the person I used to be. That is true. <laughs> that is true. Except in fantasy football, but it's too early to talk about your fantasy football performance at mm. the moment. But mm. um, what has been happening over the summer, Josh? Give us a give us a quick thirty second highlight my, reel. My summer in thirty seconds was that naturally my work goes quite quiet. So rather than uh, worry too much about that, uh, I took loads of time off, did loads of days out. Shout out my wife who just booked loads of things in the diary uh, and then I blocked them out on my diary. We did loads of things with the kids, went loads of different places, uh, finished by taking all six of my children to Wembley for the Andorra game. Uh, that was like the last hurrah of the summer holidays. Um, and yeah, it's been really focused on family. Uh, exactly why we took time off. Uh, you know, I actually went out and did it and it was... Yeah, one of the one of the most amazing summer holidays I think um, I've ever had. That's my summer holidays in thirty seconds. Has give me yours in thirty seconds. Uh, running around after a puppy. No, <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't need thirty seconds, mate. Um, uh, no, I basically uh, uh, got a puppy. Uh, I, don't, I can't even remember if I got the puppy when when we finished. We probably we probably I probably just got the puppy as we were ra- wrapping up season one. Um, so yeah, it's just been about getting used to um, a canine in the house. Uh, 
and it's been really incredible fun. She's like amazing, um, good fun and a good laugh. And uh, had a little week away, which is my first week off this year. So I'm, I'm as um, as the saying goes, I think uh, a cobbler has the worst shoes around or something like that. And I think as a coach, I'm really bad at taking time off. So it's really good to do that. And yeah, back into it. Lots I of like stuff the going saying, the cobbler has the worst shoes around. I, I don't think that is the exact saying, but I think that's the sentiment of the saying. Yeah, I've never heard that one before. Yeah. Love a good saying. Yeah. Well, we're full of them, aren't we? <laughs> um, and what is on the horizon for you uh, as you look at the next few months in terms of work and what you're up to? Well, I launched my six weeks in a U programme. So I'm in. we're in week two two of that at the moment uh we've got just over 50 people on that uh every week there's a live session so that's been brilliant i've been fully immersed in that really really enjoying that uh lots of uh corporate work coming up in person online um yeah so that's keeping me really busy holiday booked to jamaica still booked to jamaica uh that's a roller coaster ride as to whether that's going to happen or not um but keeping my fingers crossed for that. That's the horizon, mate. Um, and, you know, doing as much learning as I can as well. Um, I've really sort of upped my learning game since I did the breathwork training at the beginning of the year and the impact that's had on me. I've just made sure that I'm going back to uh, learning, learning, trying to learn more all the time. So, mm. yeah, that's that's me. Yeah, I think uh, I'm definitely going through that same journey around learning, but... I think what I'm realizing is that you have to make time for it. You mm. can't just try and fit it into when you get a little gap because that gap will always be filled by something else. And so you just kind of keep putting it off. So you have to prioritize learning because it just, it kind of moves you forward. Yeah. Uh, brilliant. The one yeah. thing I would say very quickly about my work is um, we sort of joke about the, the kind of moving into the middle class and all that kind of stuff. You know, the big conversation around, um, can money buy you happiness and, and that kind of thing, right? Um, as somebody who, we didn't have anything, right? I, we didn't live a bad life, me and my wife, when I was in my old job. But I, I don't know if I've talked about it on here before, but if we wanted a bag of protein for the month, that was the one treat for the month. And then everything else went pretty much on bills, as well as allowing like a, a, a day out here and there each month with the kids, a, a day out that was paid for that wasn't walking the dog. Um, as things have sort of like improved in my life with the work that I do, uh, being able to, if there's no working on a Thursday or whatever, take, you know, not really do any work and go and walk the kids to school, pick the kids up from school and then maybe go and grab something to eat somewhere after school uh, has has had a huge impact on my life and a really positive one. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. like it... it we talk that that conversation around money and can it buy happiness i'm not saying that it can but but i do now recognize the people that find themselves in sort of relative poverty and 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 in them spaces their chances of um that kind of freedom that i now have are much slimmer right so when we talk about mental health and people's emotional states and stuff like that it you know it is driven so much by the environment in which you exist in and what that looks like yeah it's a it's a big topic and and uh because i think uh, you could probably look at the people that say money can't buy you happiness and they probably have 
money or some yeah. element of it. And um, and I think it maybe money doesn't buy you happiness, but a lack of money can cause unhappiness. Yeah. Right? And, 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 because and, cause it shifts the way you, you know, um, the way you get opportunities, like you say. But also, uh, if you don't have money, then you may have to take two jobs or three jobs you know, or whatever. And, you know, so it does impact. Yeah. Within the framework of life that we live in, in, in the structures that we exist in and operate in as people, it does play a part in, in it. It doesn't like you, I'm not saying you get loads of money and it's going to make you really happy. Right. There's, it brings with it other struggles as well and all that sort of stuff. Um, but to quote a Carla, Yeah. Uh, he says did you just like just check in with me to, to make know, sure I Carla. knew who it was yeah <laughs> but maybe not everyone does so uh, Carla is uh, a rapper listening? historian would you call him yeah. and I, I, I don't know I would call him an intellect as well an intellectual yeah yeah I, right if, if you don't know who he is you should check a Carla out yeah. um, but I'd say he, he's a poet as well a poet yeah I would say yeah. he's a poet yeah yeah um, but he uh, he says that um, money is not wealth itself, but it is a means to get wealth. So money yeah. is not wealth, but it is a means to get wealth. Yeah. And we have to recognise that as a society to understand that those that exist in parameters of not having it, then, you know, yeah. it does impact whether we like it or not. But, 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 but capitalist society will tell you that the dream is that it's all down to you. And as long as you work completely hard, yeah, then, then, you'll be fine and there'll be no reason for you to be upset. I only took 11 minutes for you to jump into uh, capitalist society and uh, <laughs> I'm surprised you haven't mentioned Boris Johnson yet, man. You've, you've probably missed talking about him. Well, you? your, it's your lead today, so... <laughs> it is, uh, and actually we'll I don't... I can shoot uh, more yeah, maybe you will, maybe you will. Um, so, if I said acceptable immigrant to you, what do you think I'm talking about? Um, don't know. Uh, Genuinely said, don't know. I've had a thought there and I don't know. Okay. If I said Emma Raducanu to you, would it make more sense? Um, no. Okay. All right. So do you know who Emma Raducanu is? I feel Have like you... I should, but Okay. Well, she's the 18-year-old uh, girl oh, from Oh, the, the tennis player. Correct. Yeah. Right, okay. She yeah, just won the, the yeah. US uh, Open. Um and uh, this, you know, amazing like journey. I'll be one of the people, unlike loads of the people that came on social media the day after she won. And I say I did. I wasn't really following her. And did you not then, put a LinkedIn post up, mate? About no, how I didn't. She, I no? didn't. I feel really oh, bad because I missed that opportunity. You yeah, know, to, uh, yeah, yeah, to, yeah, yeah. To, to there were so but many great posts on LinkedIn. <laughs> so many thoughtful. Well, we'll come on posts. to that. We might come on to that. But basically, um, I did. I you know I watched the final. I didn't really follow it. Um, I'm not a huge, huge tennis fan. Um, not like all the people that post on LinkedIn the day after. Yeah, ma- yeah, yeah. Huge, massive, massive fans, massive of tennis. tennis Follow yeah. their journey all the way. Yeah, yeah all the way. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, and then, but but basically, uh, you know, incredible win, incredible journey. Um, but then there's been a, a, a big conversation around. British multiculturalism and heritage as a result and it's really interesting um, to kind of see what, what what's sort of being said um, it's been hailed as a as a as a bastion of multiculturalism in Britain 
born in Toronto, came over here when she was very young to London. Her mum's Chinese, her dad's Romanian, um, and, you know, worked really hard. And obviously, you know, worked really hard and you get you to win the US Open. Won two and a half million dollars, I think. And, you know, um, uh, 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 a championship. Um, that seems like it's acceptable, you know, immigration, work hard, do well, you know, succeed. Mm. Um, but often when Romanians are talked about, it's from a negative light. So um, why do you think that is? Why do you think um, we as a nation celebrate immigration sometimes, but not at other times? And I don't just mean the fringe right, by the way. I, I think I, I mean generally in society. Well, look, firstly, despite all of the LinkedIn posts, and I'll be honest, I didn't really... I uh, I, I, I do have a little bit of a browse on uh, social media on a Sunday morning sometimes, um, despite not browsing on social media anywhere near as much anymore, uh, very purposefully. Um, but I didn't this Sunday because it was all just posts about uh, about this Emma girl. Um and I didn't once see anything about her being an immigrant. I didn't even know she was. I just assumed that she was um, was not an immigrant. So, um, but to your question, why do we celebrate it sometimes and why do we not? Um, and I think because I think the way that we look at immigrants and immigration is predominantly a place to place people's anger and hatred and dark side and they don't actually really know why they dislike immigrants or, or you know because i don't actually think that it's it's defied by normally by any logic it's somewhere to place uh your your hate your darker side and some of your more difficult emotions largely speaking uh i think once upon a time it was largely more about homeless people and um addicts and people like that that's where a lot of it used to go. And then I think uh, some, you know, they started to find a little bit more compassion around that that sense. And then it moved more towards immigration. So I don't know, does that answer the question? Does that give you some kind of outlay of an answer? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think the thing about, um, uh, this isn't about making every single topic we talk about be about race. But I think it's really... Um, it's stoked up an interesting conversation because, uh, let's say now, you know, I hate holding up Nigel Farage as a as a as a as a, as a, as a person to kind of give any airtime to, but when you know he talked about um, when he was you know leader of UKIP, he talked about um, how he would not like a a, a bunch of Romanian men. Um, you know, moving next door to him. And the implications of that were insidious. Well, he wasn't explicit, but he was saying that that was going to be dangerous. It was going to be, there was going to be high levels of theft and um, and all those sorts of, you know, things. Um, and then, uh, and then when, when Emma won, he tweeted about what, you know, what, what an incredible, you know, success story is. And, and I think, um, Oh, did he? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think um, what, what, What's interesting to me is is also when you know I think uh, I think it was Raheem Sterling maybe said this you know after after the uh, the the final um, when you're winning you're English when you're losing you're black yeah 
and it just it's just a, it's just a lens by which we look at success and what we view as you know an immigrant you know doing well working hard versus the ones that sponge off society and it's a fine line and of course you've got the ones like Nigel Farage who are just really happy to get column inches in the newspapers by really shouting about it but then you've got a lot of people that you know we've talked about this sort of unconscious bias or hidden um uh, kind of xenophobia or racism, where that you know that the, actually they even the, if they don't necessarily vocalise it publicly like some of these people, there's a feeling that you know that you you view people that come in come in and work hard do well um, as successful, and the ones that don't um, aren't uh, aren't successful immigrants in in your eyes. But we have to think about you know this this notion of intersectionalism that not every immigrant has the same opportunities not mm. everyone has the same start um as you know we don't all just come off the boat uh, and i can say that because i'm a you know i'm a you know my, my dad was a was an immigrant to the country um you don't just kind of all start at the same level you have different levels of support from your country that you're leaving your family you may have a bit of income you may have education all those sorts of things um so not not everybody gets the same opportunities. So we often look at immigration um, only for the, you know, we only celebrate it when we look at, you know, we look at a success. So what was starting to happen was that, you know, peeps, some, you know, publications, maybe The Guardian was just sort of celebrating multiculturalism. And this is, you know, this is brilliant, showing that you can come from Canada, you can have a Chinese mum, a Romanian dad, and you can thrive in this country. And I don't think that's always the case. Did the son or anyone like that then not print saying it's a disgrace that she's calling herself British? Uh, I don't read the sun. Um, so I don't know. But I think I, I read somewhere that it has sparked a debate about whether, you know, about whether she can call herself British. But I wonder if... Oh, it has. It has. So there has but been. I wonder if that's just because she was born in Canada as opposed to, like, her her sort of heritage mix. Right. Right. Similar to, uh, by the way, um, Lennox Lewis. Lennox yeah. Lewis was born in Canada, wasn't he? But yeah. very much flew the British flag when he was boxing. Yeah. He's even got he, a bit of a Canadian accent, hasn't he? Yeah. I, I always struggle to get behind his accent. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also, you get a lot of footballers that are, that cross nationalities, don't they? Oh yeah. Wow. You've only got you've only got to look at Jack Grealish. Played most of his child career for Republic of Ireland. Was it Ireland? It? Yeah. yeah. I was say Ireland. Or was Wales, it Northern yeah. Ireland? Don't know. It wasn't oh, England okay. though. Yeah. 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 But that happens a lot, and you see Zaha was going to play for England, wasn't he? And then he's. Yeah. He's gone, I can't remember what his home country was, but he's gone there as well. Um, yeah. So, but but sticking on Emma, um, she sort of also drew heat from some quarters during Wimbledon. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but um, she um, she, with, she withdrew um, from uh, a match she was playing um, um, because she was having breathing difficulties. And the assumption is that she, the, the, the pressure... Um, or you know, just the kind of the sheer mental load of having a nation following you and you being the hope uh, was 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 starting to affect affect her physically. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, 
And Piers Morgan, of all people, kind of came out really against her and said, you know, she doesn't have what it takes to be a champion and that she should listen to John McEnroe, who said some sort of stuff about, you know, the pressures of the game. And it just got me thinking about, you know, stress and pressure that mm. we put on young people these days. And just sort of what, what do you think that Gen, you know, Gen Z and millennials are feeling in terms of pressure today versus kind of what we used to face? Look, firstly, obviously a lot of the people that exist in the sphere that I exist in, the echo chamber that I'm in on online, this was the narrative, right? That she prioritised her her mental health and then she came back and, and won the, the US Open because she did so. Um, and I think there's a massive conversation to be had around that. Like what I call resilience, by the way, is the ability to make sure that we know when to take our foot off the gas so that we can... Uh, come back even stronger and better, right? That's resilience. So what she did in that sense actually feeds very much into what I said. I did think it was interesting. I was listening to the radio yesterday and Steve Bruce went on holiday during the international break and he was just getting caned about it on the radio, right? Yeah. Um, getting caned for it because he'd taken time out. And I just thought it was Steve interesting. Steve Bruce? Yeah. At the manager of Newcastle during the international break, he went on, on holiday. <clears throat> And I just thought it was interesting because I thought, well, he might have done it for his mental health as well, right? So it was. I, I just thought it was interesting that uh, it was a different kind of narrative, right? And that we he came back, by the way, and got beat 4-1 by Man United in his game. But surely we can't say that you're a mental health break, if that's what we're going to call it, or prioritising our mental health in, in, the, in the way that she's done. We can't only celebrate it if you come back and win, right? You can't go... Well, you let yourself down because you took it off and then didn't come back and win, right? Because that ain't going to happen every time. Yeah. Um, so there's that conversation to be had. But but in terms of how do I think the pressure... Or he might have just been having a holiday because he thought, oh, I've got nothing else to do. Well, he might have been, but so might have this Emma girl. No, but I think um, she's uh, been more open about... Um, she, said it was, she said yeah. it was prioritised in her mental health, yeah. Uh, Steve Bruce said he felt like he needed to take some time out. Fair enough. Also, yeah. I, so there's no different. No. I, in my that's like in my opinion, there's no different. And actually, um, I think we should give people more power to know when they need to take some time out. Well, it's an interesting thing you sort of say because I I agree. I we we shouldn't we shouldn't be judging whether people are needing time off or not or the reasons for it. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I look. I I wanted to sort of look at some statistics around pressure and stress and anxiety. And Deloitte do an annual survey of millennials and Gen Gen Z. Yeah. Um. Twenty six. So their study in twenty twenty one. Twenty six percent of millennials and twenty two percent of Gen Z said that they have taken time off work for stress and anxiety. Mm -hmm. That's not surprising, is it? Really. No. Um, however, forty-four percent of those gave a different reason for being absent because of the stigma around mental health. So they might have said, "Ah, oh, you know, mm -hmm. COVID," or might have said, "Sore leg," or whatever. Mm -hmm. So it just shows that there is, and, and even just our conversation around why well, it's okay for maybe some, a younger person versus it, maybe not for an older person shows that there's still very much a stigma. Like in a way, I have to say, even in my even myself, I was going, "Oh well." He's just, what was going on in my head was he's just had the summer break. Why does he need another break? But actually, yeah. the pressures of the game when you're, particularly when you're a club like that, or his life, exactly, or whatever's going yeah. on, 
so many assumptions but I immediately went oh well you've sort of been there you know how to you should be able to handle it you know yeah so I have to check myself on that because I was already going like while you were talking I was going into that space yeah yeah that's why I purposely brought him up because I think he would he makes you think that now I like there's a kind there's a real complex and deep conversation to have around it right because um put yourself in a management role of an organization and a company right if you say say you were the next bit up right you were part of the the leadership team near the top of a big organization that i worked for and you were trying to build me up to be the next thing right the next you know up next to you by that sounds side. like quite a likely proposition <laughs> if, if we were in the corporate game i'd definitely be the boss uh, you'd be yeah, my protege I, I probably wouldn't disagree with that um <laughs> if things were getting tough like they do in a working environment we, we can't get away from that um and then i rang you up and said on the day of a very important meeting I ain't coming in today, mate, because I've got to look after my mental health and I don't feel great. I'll be back in tomorrow. It's not um, necessarily anything to do with stigma if you thought that does alter my views on whether he's ready for this, right? You wouldn't necessarily be driving stigma by altering your perception of me for that you'd be a human being, right? Mm. So I think we have to be honest and realistic about that. I just, now that doesn't necessarily change the narrative. By the way, you know, if you ask me, do you do I think people should be able to be honest? I do. But I think we all have to be honest about this, this situation as well because we can swing right with the other way, right? Um, and I think issues lie in that space too. One of the reasons when you look at the high percentage of Gen Z and all that uh, uh, being able to say that they've taken time off for their emotional state and their mental health or whatever, some of that is to do with how we have now given them a way to communicate their struggle. Yeah. And I've I've done a lot of reading recently on this. We yeah. think that um, if you look at, for example... Mm -hmm the huge rise in um, cases of bulimia when Princess Diana came out and said she had bulimia, everybody goes, well, that's just because they all were existing somewhere in the shadows. And then her coming out and speaking about it meant that they could come out and talk about it. But actually, when you start to look at the data and you really look at studies, a lot of it says that actually in in a lot of cases, not, not, an, and not a small amount, I couldn't tell you the facts and figures from it, but a lot of them were new to bulimia because Princess Diana came out and talked about it and it gave them a way to be able to communicate their own distress. So there's a there is a fine line in that. Do you understand what I'm saying with that? Yeah, so so it's almost that that you know they 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 saw Princess Diana's um situation, the way she communicated it and sort of it resonated for them and therefore, you know, it became Away from them communicating, their, their communicating. and so if we push the um, mental health day, right, taking time off for your mental health, if we push it too much, if I look at what I've been able to achieve over the last three or four years, um, 
I was in, I had to go to some quite uncomfortable places to be able to do what I'm doing. So I need to make sure that I have enough self-understanding to know when I'm feeling uncomfortable and when I'm feeling it. Because, you know, we talk about that. If you want to go anywhere, you need to go into the uncomfortable. You need to go out of your comfort zone, right? Yeah. And I do have, and I think there's a genuine, there's a gen, there should be a genuine concern about if we push that narrative too much, then people won't push themselves into that. They won't be able to, you know, get to the high levels that maybe they do want to achieve if they're not careful. Now, this Emma, I keep forgetting her surname. I'm just not a tennis fan, so I haven't really yeah. paid attention to what she's doing. But yeah. um, she's a prime example of how if you do do it and you do it right, you can get huge success. But we, I do think we have to make sure that we have the balanced conversation around it. Uh, you know, the other thing to say about it is it, it could have simply been a physical thing that we have just as a nation made an assumption about in terms of Wimbledon it could have been that she, she never actually, she's never come yeah, out and said yeah, that it was no 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 okay. it was just breathing difficulties um and there's been loads of assumptions about the fact that it was um it was you know to do with uh with anxiety over anxiety yeah um so we don't know that you know that led to her she, she probably you know she's she's a very talented tennis player she's probably was going to win anyway yeah. you know um but you know, just to kind of pick up on your point about, you know, if you'd have called me on the day of the big presentation and said, I'm I'm not coming in, um, I'm going to prioritise my mental health. I, I will say in that situation, you know, given the way that I used to kind of be a boss, I hope, is I would be annoyed at you because um, that's just, uh, you know, part part one is just, you know, just, just, being annoyed but I think what what the reason I'm saying that is um I don't think it would it should be a surprise to me uh if you were feeling anxious and that you create the you know it's really important to create conditions where you can be open with each other and it's really important that you can you know not everyone is willing and ready to talk about stuff that's going on internally but um I know that the way that I used to try and be as a boss was to be open, be supportive. But even in that moment, if it, I don't imagine you would say it like in a blood, you saw the way you said it was quite blase. Look, I'm, no, I'm just not coming in as, you know, and, but I think that our relationship, because we have a strong psychological contract, you would understand, even though you were going to step away, you would understand the impact that that would have on us, on our team, on what we were supposed to do that day. And I think it would be delivered slightly differently. And therefore, I, I wouldn't be pissed off because it wouldn't have been delivered in that way. We would have just found a way forward. Yeah, I think when <coughs> we use me as an example, it gives a, it gives a different and another context as well, though, right? Because you we, we know each other very well. We know each other inside out. And you kind of know, you know, me, that if I said to you, I can't come because I'm struggling internally you would know that shit's gone down and I'm really struggling, right? Um, and I'm not saying that wouldn't be true if anybody else says it, but I am having genuinely in the work that I do more and more conversations with leadership people who are saying to me, I'll be in a, in a, I'll be in a meeting and somebody will start saying, I can't talk about this, it's triggering me. And, 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 like he'll, and I've had leaders say to me, we're not talking about anything like 
out there. I'm, we're just trying to push people because our job is quite high stress. That's what it is, right? It's quite high uh, stakes and all that sort of stuff. And so there's concerns from the leaderships teams around this kind of stuff. And I think it's val valued, a valuable and genuine concern. And what we have to do is make sure that we don't create that conversation like we seem to do at the moment with every conversation where we just shut down every other narrative and we go, if you don't think it's okay for somebody to say that they're having a mental health problem, then you're stigmatizing mental health, right? Which is not, yeah. I know that's not what you were saying, but yeah. but if we don't have balanced conversation, what happens is the leadership people that I'm talking about, yeah, that those genuine and valid concerns, they'll stop having the conversations within their organizations because it's not worth their while or because it starts getting too difficult and they feel like they're the ones being silenced. The, the thing that's interesting about this space, because I agree, I agree to some extent that it can, it can start to, um, the, you know, the, the line between sort of truth and what, what isn't can get a bit blurred. Mm. Uh, and a lot of assumption gets built into that. And also sometimes you start to think, it, you know, is, you start to question the sincerity of what that person's feeling. But it's complex because they might actually genuinely think that they're th feeling that, and and that's sort of something something to um, to kind of look at. So I think the thing we need to look at is, <clears throat> up until this point, has it always been wrong? Have, you know, has have we, has sh has it always been there and it just hasn't been surfaced? Has mental health been really, 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 uh, you know? detrimentally suffering but we've just never talked about it because that's just not how it was done and whereas now the doors are open and let me just ask you to look at it from a different lens we've opened up the conversation around race and bias and when people veer into the territory of being you know of bringing unconscious bias or if they're saying something inappropriate and obviously people, organizations, leaders are much more conscious to the fact of what is appropriate and what isn't appropriate in terms of language. Sure, even though, um, you know, even though <clears throat> some of the conversations may not feel like it is something that is, you know, that it, someone's being triggered or someone feels like they're being um, uh, kind of marginalized, who, who draws the line about what's, being felt by that person or not? And why is it different for race and why is it different for mental health? Um, okay, so to, to bring it quickly back to the first bit that you said, I'm actually, the point that I'm making is not that I think that people will start using it as a lie and a reason not to be able to come to work. I think there will always be people that do that and they don't need mental health to do that. They can just say a headache, right? Or a backache. Yeah, yeah they yeah. can use an invisible physical thing. So. That, that those people exist, I think they're a small minority. I am actually talking more about the people that once we start to give them a way to communicate their distress, that they will then actually um, subconsciously, my worry is that subconsciously then, we all start to think every time that we feel something difficult, then we should completely come back, we should peel away from it and, and take some time off. And, and actually, I think to be successful in anything that you do, you do need to push yourself I always think I use this as an analogy in a lot of the work that I do. I use the rev counter on a car. Sometimes you've got to go up in the red to get back into your safety position on the road. 
just don't spend mm. all if you're in that red all of the time then you've got to take your foot off it or you're going to blow the engine up mm. but sometimes you have to go up into it flick into it right that's and that's true i think in the ways in which we approach our emotions and stuff um so so i it's more about uh i worry that we're going to start mm. telling people that if you ever go in the red at all take a day off and yeah. then actually you, you're not going to get to where you need to go in life. you're not doing the work personally yeah, yeah. because I, I think you uh, other people can't do the work that you need to do to figure out what your kind of how you what your coping mechanisms are what your uh, management systems are internally for when you get triggered or for when you're feeling like you're you know struggling yeah um, so I think that's absolutely right because if we suddenly say it's a bit like a doctor before you even go in you just kind of go oh, oh you know I'm not feeling great and he'll go right here's here's yeah. you know, seven days of antibiotics and you're like uh, well I don't yeah. know like, well, that, maybe that, I don't that, need that that's exactly it right mm. that's ex- that's exactly what that's exactly what I'm talking about and then we make every difficult emotion terrifying and something that we need to take a break from and actually if we can lean into our what am I feeling on that morning of that meeting when I think I need to take a mental health break right do I really need to do that? Or do I need to lean into what I'm feeling? Is this, does this mean a lot to me? Is my body trying to get me into a state where it wants me to be high alert and ready to go into the meeting, right? That comes with, you know, that's about self-awareness and all of that stuff. And again, let me highlight, the answer in that situation might be that you need to take a foot, foot off, right? It's just, we need to, if we're gonna go down that route, we need to make sure that we're educating one another on, on, on our feelings and our full range of emotions. You can do that by getting Josh Connolly into your organisation and running a proper resilience <laughs> workshop if you want. I couldn't believe that you just used it. No, that let me, t- that was a joke. Let me, plug. let me come to the race thing. You talked about triggers and races and, and, and why is it different? I'll tell you why. Triggers are my responsibility. Race isn't, yeah? So it's not your responsibility to navigate the world in the way that you're you shouldn't go i've got brown skin so i have to deal with that and if that means that you know i i have to walk slightly wide berth of people i don't know i'm trying to make things up as i go that's not your responsibility yeah that's not if my behavior triggers you that's your responsibility unless you know if I'm being hateful and all that kind of stuff and I'm acting outside of the rules of our society, yeah? So if I was being racist to you, for example, then that's not your responsibility. But if my behaviour, if you're triggered, the trigger is a signal to the part of you that needs work. It is not a signal for you to tell me to change my behaviour. And the latter is what we're starting to do more and more of. Most people that need any kind of healing work do so because they grew up in an environment where they were walking on eggshells, right? Trying not to set off their parent in their dysfunctional family environment, right? That's because their parent believed that everybody around them should change their behavior as to not trigger them. If we start making your triggers my responsibility, then we've got a problem. And we're doing that already, by the way. And we have a problem because everybody's running around now instead of looking at why they're, what part of their wounding is going on here, why am I so triggered by that behaviour, they're running around telling everyone that they should stop their behaviour. And it's a yeah. problem. That's yeah. dysfunction. That's very dysfunctional. Yeah. yeah. We, we haven't got time to go into this this week, but I'd like to revisit again. But um, 
there was a there was a case rumbling on in the advertising industry about um, uh, some white male uh, creative directors that were made redundant, um, and it followed, you know, some conversation. Um, it was followed a speech by. Um, uh, a senior female creative who said we need you know, something along the lines of we you know we need to we we need to blow up this whole kind of male dominated environment that was a one comment but it was really around kind of we need to kind of you know build inclusion but they then countersued to say that they were discriminated against for being and they won they won mm. the case so it's a really interesting topic around what that i think what that says around um how people view being triggered and kind of, you know, and what implications something like that has. Um, mm. But just just going back to um, uh, that Deloitte study, this was a really interesting one. So obviously millennials and Gen Z were surveyed, I think it was something like over 20,000 people. So it was a big survey globally. So this is global as well. It's not just kind of UK based. Half of those surveyed, so 50%, said that they feel stressed all or most of the time. It's not mm. just even about work. It's just constantly carrying it around of you. Mm. Um, and I don't think that's just millennials. Uh, you know, in the last 19, 20 months, I, I don't think that's just millennials. Mm. Um, but this is the survey. So um, do you think that's real? Do you think that's, do you think that's genuine? I do think it's real. And I think... Um I think one, there's a whole conversation to be had around how we can become addicted to the stress hormone, right? And how actually Cort- that cortisol can, was it? Yeah, can take us away from our uh, can take us away from ourself, and so our inability to be of ourselves makes us get stress uh, addicted to it. Uh, but I think when you look at the, um, the the devices that we carry around with us all of the time now and the way in which we're fed news and videos and all that kind of stuff all of the time with the algorithms and all of that, um, I made a very conscious effort over the last few months to stop scrolling, and I have done very well at doing so, uh, and to stop going on the news. Because if you pick up a news app now, they don't, you know, it's a, you know it's an age-old conversation, but they don't, they don't, like, good news doesn't get clicks. So it's all just stuff on there just you know to drag you down I see uh, Paul Merson he was on uh, GMTV this morning it's Good Morning Britain this morning he he's, he's been clean from addiction for a while but he went back in lockdown and he oh, I didn't yeah and he said right, okay. one of the things was he said I'm an addict he said so I kept watching the news and I was watching news all of the time and he said and my mind just kept he's going this is really bad it's never going to get better and I like really related to what he was saying like I was watching it if you listen to some of our episodes in the kind of last few months or the last few weeks of when we was recording last time I was really wrapped up in just watching it all of the time every and I was keeping up with it all and it I was in a stressed state all of the time and a big part of it was what yeah. I see on my device. I remember actually, because I think we talked about it really early on, maybe five or six episodes in, and you asked me how I'm feeling, and I was like, I'm pretty ambivalent. It's because I stopped watching the daily news. Yeah. I stopped charting the the highs and the lows and the, you know, the highs of, you know, the cases and, and all that sort of stuff. So I think there's something in it. But also, you're right, like the newspaper, and we all, we all probably select a certain you know, a certain uh, kind of 
medium of you know communication i i'm i'm left leaning obviously there's no surprise about that mm. so i don't go anywhere when you ask me about the sun or or the daily mail i have no idea because i don't go anywhere near it and mm. so um i'm only i'm also just feeding myself with one particular narrative as well um yeah and 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 it is you know it's fed to you in a particular way like with a newspaper old school print you're just like you you go to the areas that are interesting, whereas you don't really have the choice because you you have to scan and you get pulled in in a way and it's fed to you in a particular yeah. way, right? And then not to mention the way that you're always connected to everybody all of the time, right? When I was a kid, if I wanted to get hold of Hass, I would have to ring the house phone, right? Mm-hmm. And then you go, hi, it's Hass home. And then what you normally get is, yeah, hang on, Hass! <laughs> right yeah yeah right yeah. but 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 if you weren't there i didn't get hold of you and then i watched the telly or whatever so even if you have a nice functional home at the moment home environment right yeah a lot of these young people are sat i mean I look at my teenage daughter who lives with me she is in constant conversation not just with one other person but massive groups of people across different platforms yeah all of the time yeah. right and so yeah. there's no rest there's no yeah. let up Right. If there's a little yeah. bit of drama in so and so's life over there, it's in the group, and everyone's talking about it, and you're in stressed, worried about it all of the time. You know, so there's no let up with that. It's really interesting um, that you say that because um, I was reading about this, but also my daughter's a little bit younger. My eldest daughter's a bit, a little bit younger, but they they don't use phones anymore to basically no. communicate. It, it might be very, very brief. Like, are you in town? Yeah. No that's it off and like there's no sort of hey how you doing and conversation and so all of it is in groups and chats and you know and 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 messages um and there was a there was a study done by a guy called alfred morabian in the 60s so it's out of date and you know um but he he said that um he found that words counted for uh, only seven percent of communication the rest was um tone and body language wow yeah whereas where the 100 percent of the means of communication is words that's why it's so much it carries so much when somebody just does a dry text yeah yeah. that's what you know um what they say which means there's no emotion attached to it there's no kiss at the end of it that sends them down like oh what like they start going oh what 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 have i done wrong are you mad at me and actually it was like no i was just saying i'll see you in town yeah you know And then, so so actually, it's it, it like it, it that whole kind of method of communication needs to evolve, or the yeah, how we operate as humans needs to evolve. Which yeah. is which is why like my my kids they laugh at some of the emojis that we use as at our age because it's very very different because their method of communication is very different, and we are probably <laughs> overdo it on on being affectionate. Yeah, no, it's funny, isn't it? It's funny that it's now which emoji you're using, not the fact that emojis are even being used. But I mean, like my 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 teenage kids, they don't really even use text anymore, though. It's all uh, voice note. Or, yes. Or they take like a really close-up picture of their face and then write their response over that. <laughs> and yet, see, like my eldest, she'd kill me if she had this. But... Uh, I had to take her in and get her bus pass. She's never going to listen to it anyway. So right? <laughs> She's not an avid 150 miles podcast listener. Uh, but I had to take her in to get a bus pass the other week and I had to take her photo and she was crippled. It crippled her that she had to do it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you, you take 
a hundred pictures a minute of yourself on that phone to send to your mates to give them a message, mm. and yet you are she's cripplingly shy in general, my daughter. Mm. So, like you know, to bring it kind of right back to the to the, to the topic of the conversation that you're talking about, it makes total sense to me that they're stressed more often because me and you, one of the things we talk a lot about like now, and we there's a measured difference in both of us now in our communication on the weekend, like on the weekends, I, I all but don't touch my phone. Mm. Gen- unless I need to, it's left alone. It's not in my pocket. It's not with me. I'll go and check it. And if I've got a message, I might reply to it or whatever. But even if it's th- if it's not that important, I'll leave it. Um, and you usually diff- just get gifts from me, don't you? At the moment. <laughs> <laughs> the weekend or WhatsApp. Yeah, yeah. Mainly because um, you're doing all right at Fantasy League after three games, which is good for you. But where are you? Um, you're you're languishing second from bottom, aren't you, Josh? Yeah, Not because I, like I said, I'm not giving it the energy anymore. I'm I'm living a better life. <laughs> yeah, drinking your espressos. Less, less on less <laughs> online time. More espresso. Yeah, more espresso pods and avocado on toast for me, mate. Good life, good life. <laughs> um, what a wonderful conversation to uh, to kick off season two, Josh. It's been uh, it's been uh, a really really uh, missed part of my routine, uh, so I'm delighted that we're back into it. And in fact, I'm going to just jump straight in with reasons to be cheerful. All right, before say, you do, before you do. On. If your reasons to be cheerful is that 115 miles is back, yeah, that's yeah. a fucking cop out, yeah, right, and you should be fined. We should, do you know what we should do? We should start a charity fine system this season, okay, where we randomly fine each other, okay, five. Okay, pounds. so so uh, my reason to be cheerful this week, Josh, is you're just uh, crossing the, out <laughs> the the new. Um, Charity uh, fine system that we've uh, created for 115 miles uh, for uh, for when we get something wrong or when we mess up. So you're going to be putting loads of money in there. Now, honestly, I know it feels like a cop out, um, but cop my out. reason to be cheerful is this: it's getting back and doing this because um, not only do I enjoy having this conversation, and I think other people, you know, have commented that you know. Um, it brings some value to them but actually it just it makes me think about things in a different way and also I know I'm going for at least an hour uh, or so uh, every couple of weeks you're going to keep me on my toes and we're going to have you know talks about some important stuff so I think intellectually um, it's really important and I uh, have really enjoyed it today good Uh, good good and it's good to be back, mate. It's good to be back. Really enjoyed it. Um, my reasons to be cheerful is this. The fact that 115... 150- <laughs> it's not. It's not. I'm joking. <laughs> i got a bit more about me. Um, my reasons to be cheerful is my older brother being alive. Uh, I'll very quickly tell a story. Last week, um, I, I, I woke up on Tuesday to a text message saying that my, my older brother, who I'm very close with, um, very close with, uh, had a bleed on his brain. Uh, he was rushed to hospital, rushed to um, John Radcliffe Hospital in Oxford. And literally, like, the type of thing that he had, that, that not many people survive it. And I was there Tuesday morning, I text my brother's phone saying, I love you, bro. And I was looking at this message thinking he might never read it. 
that's where it was. Um, fortunately, he had loads of tests done, and uh, essentially, when you get this thing that he had, 85% of people either die or have lifelong, life-changing, um, you know, reactions to it. My brother has fell into the 15%, which means he basically will go back to living life exactly as he did before. Can play football, can carry on riding his bike, all of that. So incredible. He just had some tests done yesterday. It was a week ago. So he's been in hospital seven days. Now they are going to keep him in for another seven days. His brain is just clearing the blood that was left on his brain and it works really hard and makes him really poorly. Uh, but he's going to be all right, essentially, unless something drastic was to happen, but they don't foresee that at all. Uh, so yeah, incredible really to go through such a roller coaster and him just come out the other side and he's going to be all right. Um, and I tell you what, actually, the the real reasons to be cheerful is uh, I was thinking to myself when he might have been gone. I couldn't have done anything more with my brother. We speak on the phone for like an hour once a week, at, at least, as well as texting all of the time. So I, you know, it wouldn't have been one of them. I should have spent more time with him. We go out on our bike all the time together. Uh, you know, we're doing life together as we should be. So I guess the reasons to be cheerful is is the relationship with my brother and the fact that he's still there. Man, if there was ever a reason to validate why we do reasons to be cheerful, that's it. Yeah, no, it is, mate. It is, yeah, massive. And what I take from that is, you know, you, you're saying there's, there's, you know, you really value the time you spend with your brother. But for me, I think there's also a reminder that um, you've got to live it, live in the moment. Mm. And I often put myself in that space of always prepping for the future. If I just do this, or if I just do that, we'll be in a, in a better position or we'll just, you know, and actually you can't put off happiness to the future or mm. present being present to the future. You can't like go, you know, in a year's time, that's when I'll have more space and time to be with the kids or with my family mm. because that, that day may never come. As, 100%, yeah. Right? So you just got to go for it. So that is an incredible, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very glad that I knew you were going to kind of bring that today as reasons to be cheerful. That's why I purposefully downplayed mine uh, just so you can have the spotlight. <laughs> um, oh, you're so full of shit. Mate. <laughs> uh, oh, mate, it's good to be back. It's good to be it back. It is, mate. And to yeah. the listeners, uh, it's good to be back. Be back. <laughs> <laughs> See yes, you next mate. time. See you next time. See you next time. Thanks again for listening to 115 Miles with Josh Connolly and Hassan Kyle.